So uh, I have an agenda this morning. Really, I have an agenda every Sunday morning, uh, but just this Sunday, I'm going to be upfront with you about it and not try to be so sneaky. So my agenda for you is that each one of you will take on a little bit of the Christmas spirit and believe. I mean, after all, Christmas is about believing, because if you don't believe, then you don't receive, right? Anyone traumatized by that? that their parents told them? Okay. Anyways, my hope is that each and every one of you will take the next step for you in your faith throughout this Christmas season. Now, this might look a little bit different for each of you. For some of you, your next step might be kind of the first step in praying for the first time in a long time. And, And you could even start your prayer by saying, hey, God, it's me. No, you haven't heard from me for a while, but here I am, and that's okay. God hears that. Maybe for you, taking that next step is joining a small group, surrounding yourself with a community of people who are struggling and wrestling to figure out this Christian, this faith thing together. Beginning of the new year, we have new small groups that are forming, or there's some that are already in existence. You can jump into those. Maybe for you, the next step is signing up and, and volunteering, going down to feed the homeless with the Doug Brown Street Ministry, or, or helping out in what we're doing in downtown Dunedin. Because here's what I want you to know, and here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe that you are light, that all of us, every single one of us is light, that we each have a little bit of light within us, that we have this little light of mine and that it was meant to shine. I mean, one of the core beliefs of our church is that we believe that every single person, within every single person, God is already at work in your life. Whether you believe it, whether you're aware of it or not, God is already there. We all have a light. We all have a spark. We all have an ember. And so turn towards your neighbor this morning and say to them, neighbor, you are a light. I'm serious. Neighbor, you are a light. Now all the introverts in the room hate me. I know. Uh, You just had to talk to someone new. Okay. Uh, So here's what I bet just happened. Uh, You said that to the person sitting next to you, and it was a little awkward. It may have been a little strange, but you probably felt pretty good about telling someone that they are a light. And when they said that back to you, it was a little awkward. It was mostly awkward. It was strange. And it may have made you blush a little bit. Because maybe you don't really believe that. Maybe that light within you seems to have dimmed over the years. And today I want to rekindle that a little bit. And, and here's why. So I want to tell you a story. And it's a story that typically doesn't get told until after Christmas, when nobody's in church. <laughs> 
So everybody misses out on this really great story. So, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, jump ahead a little bit in the Christmas season. It's like, I know it's like 39 weeks in, of Jesus's, Mary's pregnancy with, with Jesus, but he's going to be a little bit premature today. Let's just pretend, okay? Uh, imagine, you know, Jesus is born. He's in the manger. Joseph, Mary are there. The shepherds have come. The whole heavenly host is singing, Alleluia, you know the story story. But what I want to do is I want to focus on some of the B characters in that story. Some of some of the other actors within it. One of them goes by the name of Herod, King Herod. And King Herod was often called Herod the Great. Herod was the king of Judea, uh, the king of that region where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Herod was very smart. Herod was very ambitious, very politically savvy. And even though in many ways he was kind of like a puppet king to the Roman Empire and they just kind of gave him this slice of land to kind of oversee as sort of a puppet, um, Herod didn't see himself that way at all. I mean, he built things. He built towns. He built roads. He built infrastructure. Herod was great. He didn't see himself as a puppet king, and what he wanted was nothing more than to leave behind a great legacy for his name to live on forever. But the thing that always got him in trouble was that he was so ambitious and so committed to his legacy that he just kept making poor life decisions. Herod had four sons. And he knew that one of those sons was going to take the throne after he passed away. And his sons knew this as well. And so Herod ended up killing all of his sons. Whenever they would do something that Herod didn't quite agree with or, or that would upset him, he'd kill one of the sons off and move to the next one in line. And when they did something that he didn't approve of, and so you can imagine just being like the third or fourth son in line and you're like, no dad, it's okay. Really don't need to be king. You can just keep that to yourself. Uh, but <clears throat> Herod so badly wanted his legacy to be pure. He wanted to control everything. He tried to control everything and every aspect of his life and the lives of those around him that he could. He murdered his wife. He murdered thousands of rabbis who would speak out against him. And by the time that Jesus was born, Herod was an old man, and Herod was dying. And so he has kind of his life flashing before his eyes. And then he gets the worst news imaginable, that just five miles south from where he sits in the capital, five miles south of that, a new king is born in a little town called Bethlehem. And so here's where our story picks up. It comes from Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So just just imagine this. These magi, you know, the wise men, they have just landed in Jerusalem, Herod's capital city, and they go around town asking, hey, where's the new king? And everyone in town is shushing them. They're shushing them because they already have a king. They have King Herod the Great. And even though they may not like him, they fear him. And they worship him. And this news of a new king could quickly turn into bad news. And so the story goes on. It says, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was disturbed and everyone was disturbed with him because... Because they knew that when the king was disturbed, he did disturbing things. After all, he killed his four sons. What's going to stop him from killing us? And now Herod's legacy is in danger. Now there's a new thing. Now there's something that he can't control. At least not yet. And so it goes on, and it says... When he, had, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So he has a secret meeting with the Magi here, and he says, listen, as soon as you find this new king, listen, as soon, as soon as you find this new king, come and tell me, because I too want to go and worship him. Let's just pause there on that word, worship. Everyone say pause with me. Ready? Pause. Okay, so that word worship, is, it, it's a really interesting word. And we in the modern world, we, we have made it synonymous with, with singing churchy songs. But it's so much more than that. And it certainly was so much more than that to a king. To worship literally meant to ascribe worth to something or someone to recognize the, the ultimate worth within something 
or someone, to recognize the value of someone, and to give yourself over in surrender to it, to bow down literally in awe of that person, to surrender to them, to do as they tell you, to say yes even before they ask the question, and when they tell you to jump, you say, how high? That's what worship meant, full surrender. So Herod... Herod really had no intention to ever worship this new king. He wanted to know his whereabouts so that he could remain in control and so that he could remain in power. And now here's the part of the sermon that that you're probably not going to like. Is that I think within each of us, they were all a little bit like Herod. That just as much as we have this little light of mine that's meant to shine, we also have a little bit of Herod that lurks within us. We want control. We want power over our lives. We want to determine the outcomes. We want to be the ones who give demands. We want to be the ones who ask the questions. Yeah, I don't mind coming to church as long as it keeps my wife or my parents off my back. I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't mind saying that there is a God somewhere out there, but to say that this God is actually king, well, I don't really want to write a blank check with my life. I, I, don't, I don't really want to say yes and, and sign on to that kind of life. That there's, there's something within us that, that, that resists this sense of worship, this true meaning of worship. That there's a part of us that, that doesn't really want to really worship. We just want to sing some songs. We just want to show up in church, check in with God. Show up in church because that's where God is and that's where I go to find God but then I also get to leave God there after I've done my hour of worship. Are you getting warmer with anyone? I'll get, off your, I'll get off your back for a minute. Okay, say unpause with me. Ready? Unpause. So the wise men, you know the rest of the story. The wise men, they went, they followed the star to Bethlehem. There they found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They bowed down to Jesus and they worshiped him. Then they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they left. But they didn't go back home the same way that they came. They didn't go back through the city of Jerusalem. They avoided Herod. And they avoided telling King Herod that they had found the new true king. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus get word of Herod as well, and they do the same thing. They end up fleeing for their lives to Egypt and spent some time there. And so here's what happens next, even though you can probably already guess it. It says this, it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. 
and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Herod is disturbed. And when Herod is disturbed, he does disturbing things. He gives orders to kill. To kill every child who would be about the same age as Jesus. And and we can't even begin to imagine giving that kind of order. And we can't imagine the soldiers carrying out that order. Until we can imagine who Herod really was. A man totally obsessed with control. But then... Herod dies. Herod dies. Probably shortly after he gave that command to kill all the young boys in the area, Herod, King Herod, who was so consumed by control, the king who wanted a legacy so pure more than anything else, Herod the Great, becomes just a footnote in the story of a king who was born in a barn. Yes, Herod's name would live on forever. Yes, Herod would have a legacy. But his name would be just a footnote in the story of Jesus. And his legacy would be a legacy of bloodshed. He would be remembered as the Mad King, And his name was made a mockery by a toddler and some wise men. People wouldn't remember Herod as the great. People would remember Herod as the killer of innocent children. And Herod goes down in history as a deranged madman. His name made a mockery mentioned only as a footnote in the larger story of the one true king, Jesus. And then about 30 years later, about 30 years later, that baby would grow up, not to become the next king of Judea, but he grew up, and people began to flock to listen to him, to listen to the words and the commands and the orders that he gave. And he would sit down to say, not sitting on a throne, but sitting on the side of a mount. As he sat down to say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. It doesn't sound like King Herod. The meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. The merciful? Yeah, the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who, per, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me, and rejoice. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that's the kind of king. That's the kind of king that people would follow. That's the kind of king who never came to take Herod's throne, but he came to take a shameful, humiliating throne the cross, all so that he could reign forever in the hearts of men and women, and his name would be great, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in worship. And to anyone who would, to anyone who would follow him, to anyone who would worship him, He gave this command. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So salt, in Jesus' time, was used to preserve, mainly. It was used for flavoring, but it was used to preserve, to keep what would otherwise spoil and rot. And so Jesus says, you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preservers of this world. That even though salt is so hard to see, and even though you can't see it working, salt still preserves. He goes on and he says, if you don't like that, then here, you are the light of the world. Light illuminates the dark. And Jesus says, you, you, you are the light of of the world. You are the ones who will illuminate the darkness. You are the ones who will shine in the dark places of this world. The only thing about this that they couldn't understand, one of the many things they couldn't understand, was that the world to the people that Jesus was speaking to was no larger than 10 or 15 square miles. That most people never left their hometown that there were still continents to be discovered, North, South America, Australia. And now, thousands of years later, after Jesus spoke these words, now there are churches in those places. Now there are Christians all over the globe. Jesus said, you are a light to the world, a world that you can't even begin to wrap your minds around. You are a light of the world, a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. So towns in this time, towns were strategically built on top of hills. And they were often built out of white limestone so that the lights in the city could shine off of it. So that even in the darkness of night, as you were traveling down to a city, you could clearly see it from the hill. A town reflecting the light, shining the way for you to go. And Jesus says, you're like that. You're like a town, a strategically placed, strategically planted city. You are here, right here, right now, for this reason. 
And you might be thinking, I'm not strategically placed. I moved from Ohio to get away from the snow. (laughs) I got transferred. I'm here to R-I-T-I-R-E, retire. That's why I'm here. No, Jesus says. No, you are here to reflect the light because you are the light. You are a town that has been strategically placed to be right where you are and never hidden. Then he goes on. He says, neither. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your, God, your Father in heaven. It's so powerful what Jesus says there. He says, I, I, I want your good deeds to be so extravagant, so, so generous, so selfless that other people begin to connect the dots between the way that you live your life and your, and your Father who is in heaven. That people may see your good deeds and not give credit to you, but may give credit to your Father in heaven. That the world, that the entire world may see you and connect the dots between the way that you live your life and the God that you worship. You are salt. You are light. And that's what it means to worship. To be salt. To be light. To give your life over. To surrender. To bow down. To say yes to whatever the question is. To say yes to be a preserver to be an illuminator. But I don't want to be salt. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to be light. I just prayed the magic prayer when I was at camp. I invited Jesus into my heart, and now I just want to raise my family. I want to live an easy life. I might sing a few songs on Sunday morning, and I want to go to heaven when I die. No, 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 Jesus says. Who taught you that? Who taught you that? That's not this life that I'm about. That's not the king that I am over. You are salt. You are light. Don't settle for being a churchgoer. Be a worshiper. Don't settle for being a Christian. Be salt. Be light. Be light to your families, to your friends to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your school, to your neighborhoods, to your communities, to your workplaces. Be a light for the entire world. Because here's what it comes down to. What will your story be? What will it be? Will it be a story of resistance? Or will it be a story like the Magi? A story of worship. Will it be a story about my will and my way? Or will it be a story about your will, God? Your ways, God? You see, the Magi, they got it right. They searched for a new king. And when they found him, they worshipped. Because when you're in the presence 
of someone so awe-inspiring. You have no choice but to bow down and acknowledge the worth of that person. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to end our time today um, by worshiping, by singing a couple songs together. And I know I've, I've knocked on just singing songs together on Sunday morning. But this time can really be so much more than just singing. It can be an expression of our life of worship if we let it. It can be a time where we give our hearts over to Jesus, where we bow down, where we surrender, where we let God's Holy Spirit remake and remold us. This can be a time of worship that leads us into a life of worship. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you gave. You gave your very life and and risked it all. And to the people who would follow you, walk in your path and do the same, you called them blessed. And you encouraged them to keep being preservers to keep being illuminators. And so Holy Spirit, open up our hearts at this time. Break us free from the chains that we hold on to. It cause us to resist. God, bring us into your presence. May we find worth in you this morning and may we worship you. Pray this in the holy and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.